So welcome. This is the first podcast for STR Like the Best. And I wanted to invite my good friend, Maggie, who I re- I met, Maggie, we met probably like three, four months ago. Yes. We connected through social media. And the nice thing is we're both from New York. We're both living in New York and we both came from a finance background and similar education backgrounds. And now we are both in the Airbnb space. So I thought it'd be a good conversation to have just as people are thinking about short-term rentals, wanting to employ the strategy for themselves, for their personal financial goals. Like for you, being fairly new to the space still, and as you're navigating your first full year, be a good way to, to tell the audience your story. So it's a huge honor. Thank you for joining. So why don't, we, why, don't we start, why don't we start off with maybe you just tell the audience, just give a bit, a bit of your background. Sure. Yeah, as Michael said, I graduated in 2012 and I worked in investment banking for four years with Morgan Stanley in their Hong Kong and London offices. And I transitioned to private credit investing for the last five years in New York. It was a great experience. I think it it really built a solid foundation about the finance knowledge, especially investing, like what makes a good investment. And I came across kind of rental arbitrage actually on social media. And I immediately know, like from the investing perspective, I have never seen other type of investment like this in terms of the capital efficiency, the cash on cash return, and also the ability to scale because you can automate a lot of the business operations. And I was really attracted to it. I just had my first baby and it was very challenging, especially both my husband and I, we work a very demanding job and we don't have any family nearby to help. So it was pretty challenging balancing both work and family. And I started having this idea how I want to kind of be my own boss and I can control my schedule. And at the same time, my husband is still having a corporate job. So he's providing some sort of safety net for the family as well. And I have quite a bit of saving from my previous career. So I think it was a pretty good opportunity to jump into. Yeah. Yeah. But it has only 10 months. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. It's pretty amazing. The scaling you have been able to do in the last 10 months. Kudos to you for that. And we'll definitely touch on that as we continue the conversation. But I think you brought up a couple of good points there or a couple of points I wanted to double click on. I think one, leaving a a high paying finance job, similar to me, leaving investment banking to do this full time. You obviously have your your husband still working. You still have savings. But Maybe just touch on that a little bit. What was the thought process of walking away from something that you've kind of the only thing you've known in your professional life and now doing something pretty new and pretty entrepreneurial or very entrepreneurial? What was the thought process that kind of got you there? Was it as you've seen your professional investor and just saying, like, wow, this is just so compelling? Or was there something else? Yeah, I think it is definitely a very compelling model. That's very important because I have been looking at kind of long-term rental, we actually have had our first long-term rental in 2020. But we also know that with that kind of yield and also capital requirement, it's not going to replace my income, like maybe a decade or even longer. (laughs) So I feel like that's not feasible. And of course, we look at like other business model, like we even look at like franchise, like that kind of thing. But those are also very capital intensive and probably more risky from that perspective. So I think it was definitely not an easy process, but I also see when you're kind of trading your time for money, there's always like a limit to how much you can make. 
Like, you know, as an MD, so, you know, how much they make and also all the carry or bonus, those are also deferred compensation. So you're not really getting them immediately. And there's a time value of money there as well. And it just like the toll on your family as well. You can see that because there's very little flexibility, especially if you're working on deals. That means like working really late. And if your kids are sick, like you can't really just take care of your kids or without kind of sacrificing on the work quality. Yeah. And a great point. And for me, it's always those the three freedoms that we really aspired to. It was the financial freedom, the time freedom, and location freedom. Mm -hmm. That's where the, this business model outside of just the, that ability can make a lot, you can make money quickly and get back your capital quickly. Mm -hmm. It's also, you can work from anywhere, right? You can work from, if your child is sick, you can take, take him to appointments if you need to, and be able to really operate this business just really through your phone if you have everything set up. And it's obviously not day one kind of thing, but yeah, it does allow it. you to, you can see you have a line of sight to that angle where you have like location fle- flexibility to time flexibility. You don't have to be in the, it's not someone that's give a deal that needs to close in a week. Like you're sprinting for 20 hours a day trying to do that. Yeah. Uh, you can really manage your time much more effectively balancing yeah. family and life, which for me was a huge thing. And then you you add the, you add on the financial aspects of that, which is mm-hmm. really powerful. Love to hear from you as why was this so compelling versus like long-term rentals fr- franchise? I know you talked about yield and capital efficiency, but for mm-hmm. people that aren't as finance focused as us, what maybe you can break it down to we're explaining to our parents, like how would you describe yeah. this business model? So long-term rental, maybe people are more familiar because if you live in the East Coast, if you buy a property in New York and then you try to rent it out, the yield is probably like 3% or 4%. If you're lucky. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, if you're lucky, exactly. So it's just, and you need to put down a, a huge down payment because the property is so expensive. Uh, we bought our own house, but but that's we know that's a liability, right? In kind of rich dad, poor dad term because we're paying mortgage every month. But we have to buy a house because we want to live here, basically. And then we looked at actually Midwest for long-term rentals. So our first property, the yield is actually in the mid-teens, percent, which is really good. And it also we also bought it before COVID. So it had 50% appreciation over two years. But of course, it's not very expensive. It's just 100K. It's like a, it's like a pretty... Yeah, give us the numbers. Like, what does that mean exactly? So, you know, for the audience... Yeah. So you bought the property for say a hundred and we actually for that one we haven't financed it yet. So it's it's okay. <laughs> so that the rent you're getting is like twelve hundred per month, right? You put down a hundred K. So for the whole year you're getting probably like fifteen thousand. So that's a fifteen percent yield before you finance. If you finance it, you know, your yield will be higher because you put down less Exactly. And then you 15K, so that's a 15K gross yield. So yeah, that's you obviously start really yield. Yeah. Um, but you still have, you still have property tax, property taxes, yeah. water to, to pay, any kind of maintenance that comes up that you'll be responsible for. It's still, call it, this, this is a round number like 10% net yield. Sure. It's not, that's not finance. So obviously, if you had like an $80,000 mortgage against it at like 5%, yeah. you know, that yield, obviously, it yield will go up. Um, because your your invested capital, the money that you have invested in would be less because you've taken out for the mortgage. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. Now let's contrast that with short-term rentals. So yes. maybe let's talk about just the first one you did. Maybe just maybe give some numbers around money in, gross like yield. That'd be great. Yeah. So I think here we need to make a distinguish between rental arbitrage and owning property. I know, Michael, you have 
kind of you have both strategies. So right now I'm purely focused on rental arbitrage because it's easiest to scale. It requires the least amount of capital. But the difficulty there is actually to convince landlord to give you the permission to do Airbnb or short-term rentals. So for my first property, it took me almost two months to find the first lead. And I remember the landlord was really angry when I first talked to him because he was looking for a traditional tenant and he think I'm wasting his time. But after two months, he couldn't find a good tenant and I reached out again and he was much more kind of open-minded to the idea. So to give you some number, the rent was 4100 and I put in around 12000 for furnishing. It's a four-bedroom, uh, two-and-a-half-bedroom townhouse. And I also use labor to set it up, to help me set it up. So the labor was probably around $2,000, handyman and cleaner. So all in is around maybe, say, 15000 Of course, you need to put down first month's rent as a deposit. And then in the first 10 months, my revenue, gross revenue is, I think it's around 110000 in gross revenue. Yeah. Amazing. Right? So let's maybe just pause it for a second. So doing 110000 on 10 months. So if we... Let's just add on a little bit for, to account for two more months. So let's say yeah. you do, let's make the math, you see 120000 and your rent is 4100 a month. So quick math, right? That is less, let's just say 50000 So yeah. you already have $70,000 of gross profit. So let's say profit or profit after or gross revenue after rent. So there's sure. a lot of room to play for. You obviously need to pay for your cleaning. Yes. You have to pay for utilities, your water, yes. electricity, and other kind of operating. There's just nothing else like this in traditional rent real estate investing where you get that kind of yield. And effectively, you can get all your cash in your yeah, space. Got, you've got, got all my- your cash. You've gotten all your cash out in the first <laughs> six months, let's say, and your cash flow. So if we were say, if we were to say cash on cash, it's infinite right now because your denominator is zero. (laughs) So it's actually error function because you don't have any money in that property anymore. Obviously you have the liability on that lease, but that lease actually is valuable doing 12, $10,000, $12,000 of revenue per month on on $4,100 of rent, which is amazing, which is amazing, right? Which just to reemphasize, that is really something that you don't see anywhere else in real estate investing, not even real estate investing, but just any kind of investing, like most kind of operating businesses or hospitality businesses, that margin is just unheard of. If you don't actually see it, it's hard to believe. So it's funny when you talk to other people, they're like, oh, I don't know, that sounds weird. But when you do it yourself, you're like, wow, like this is actually real. And I went through that exact same journey a few years before you, but we've grown now to 20 properties in Philadelphia. We have six properties, vacation rental properties that we own in Tennessee, mm-hmm. been able to take that arbitrage profit, reinvest it into properties that we own. For us, that's, all, that's always been the goal, our view on building long-term compounding, building and compounding long-term wealth is through real estate. And there's a bunch of tax benefits and one, you get the benefit of the property appreciating, and then yeah. you get the tax benefits from depreciation. Yeah. One thing people don't talk about is you have control. Nope. Your landlord have a lease, but at the end of the lease, they can say, no, we don't want to thank you for renting yeah. for us, but we want to do it ourselves now. And now you're right. stuck with a liability with your furniture. You have to find a home for it and get it working right. for you again. Mm-hmm. But when you own it, to your point about buying a house, like no one can ever you can never, no one can ever kick you out of your own primary residence. And I think with arbitrage, 
no one say the fallacy of it, but that is definitely the, a risk that you, it's not a forever stream of cash flow versus, versus owning your own stuff. And so really combine for us, like combining the two strategies is really powerful because you're mm-hmm. able to get the operating expertise from the arbitrage for the low amount of capital up front, learn the business, and then take that knowledge and scale it to buying your own properties. So that's great. Congratulations on a very excellent first investment. Tell us, <laughs> tell us about now, like where are you now in your journey? Yeah. So I launched four properties last year. So the second property was launched in June and then the third one in September, the fourth one in October. All four property, I would say, are doing pretty well. Of course, some were launched in the slow season. So it takes a little bit of time to ramp up. Um, but the first three properties were doing really well. And I think, yeah, I already built up a pretty good review base. So hopefully this year will be the first year that all of them will have hopefully a full year of operation and pretty excited to see what they can bring. And of Excellent. course, continue to grow, but definitely learning how to learn a lot from Michael, how to automate. And the important thing is really to delegate. I think the first delegation you always do is cleaning because I'm remotely managing the property. So there's no way I can clean those properties. Nor would you want to be fair. Right. Nor would you want to. Exactly. Yeah. It's not a good use of your time. And of course, also like kind of property maintenance, that kind of stuff, you should all outsource them. But I think the next thing I really need to outsource is customer service. I always feel like my customer service makes a difference. Maybe I have that natural kind of instinct to be a good, have sympathy, that kind of stuff. But I really want to find people who have that kind of personality as well and to take over from me so I can focus on growth. Yeah. And it, it, it just parked the third and fourth properties when, you know, you need that first virtual assistant to take that off. It just becomes too much to handle candidly for one person. But let's talk about that though. You live in New York and your properties aren't in New York, right? Yeah. Hours away from New York City. Yeah. And you have a child, but you have, you have other kind of responsibilities. How yeah. have you been able, actually, I'm going to take a step back. How are you able to get over that mental block of, man, I'm not there. Something goes wrong. What happens? Can you talk about that? Yeah, I think when I first started, I know this market, like the New York market, or it's not a good market to start. So I already convinced myself, like, I need to manage this remotely. So that's from day one. Never had the mindset that, oh, if it doesn't work, I'll come back and do something locally. Like, just block out that option. And then I think you always turn over a few like cleaners or like handyman. Like you, you don't have the expectation that you're going to find the right person from the beginning. So treat every kind of opportunity as like a learning opportunity. Always see who actually works better for you or whose personality fits you better or fits your business better. And then also tell them like you are also helping them to grow the business. I think that's the most important thing. You're trying to build a relationship, not like a transaction experience. So for my cleaner, like she actually appreciate me and she gets a lot of new businesses from me. I also use her to set up my property. So I think she, she told me like her business grew a lot because of her relationship with me. Of course, she makes mistakes and I'm trying not to uh, just look at her mistakes, but I'm trying to help her grow as well. And it's human, right? We all make mistakes. 
Exactly. But those are very subtle things, which I didn't really learn much from my previous job because I was more doing a lot more analysis and running the deal yourself. And maybe you manage an analyst or two, but I feel like managing cleaning operation, it's like very different. So that's something you really need to learn. And you need to try to understand like how people think. It's all about the human psychology. Yeah, and absolutely. And I think working, especially like working in a, like kind of high-end professional services, it's a very different way of managing versus yeah. managing, I would say, in the real world. Yeah. The human aspect is a lot more, it's critical. Yeah. They're not motivated. It's not just about the bonus or dollar and cents or the carry at the end of the day. It's actually like you need to pre- thank them, appreciate them. Yes. Appreciate that, is, that is actually something that most people don't, they either don't understand or don't understand the importance of. Your cleaner is the most important person, especially if you're managing remotely. They have the eyes and ears of your business. Yes. They are the closest to your guests because they're the ones cleaning. Report damages. Very important. Yeah. And how they do, how they care about your business and your property has a humongous impact on how you are going to perform. Because if they don't clean it properly, they miss Mm -hmm. the cleaning your reviews go down and it's a vicious cycle down to the extent that you can do that up front. And to your point, it's not, it's hard to have the expectation that you're going to get it right the first time, but learning from iterating, learning from that. And then the next cleaner being able to manage that better is, is an absolute kind of absolutely critical part of the business. But mm-hmm. I guess as, as you, when you said you closed off that possibility, even mm-hmm. before you started, Mm. You just talk about that actually, because I think that's where a lot of people have like that's a huge roadblock for people is mm. accepting that for people, especially if you're managing remotely, accepting that you can't be there. Was there like a thought process? Was there just was there like a journey that you went through on that, or was that just like, hey, like all right, this is the, I'm not going to be I'm not going to be there, so I'm going to accept that and just move forward. Or was there like a journey that you went through to to? So I think get there? I think. Yeah, I think there is a journey. And I think what I try to do is initially, like, for example, for the setup, like I try to be there. And now I try not to be there even for the setup, (laughs) which I know it's extremely hard. Like I still have to go there for the final inspection. But for my third and fourth property, I really kind of worked out a process where I was not there for the first kind of three days of setup. And I just went there for the last day for the photo shoot. And I think that really gave me the confidence is, oh, hey, if I can do the setup remote, like literally anything else I can do. Like I'm trying also to do like quality control myself, but I realized, hey, why not just give it to the cleaner? And I frame it as, hey, I'm trying to give you more opportunity to learn new skills. And of course, you have to find someone who is intrinsically motivated. Exactly. Um, want to grow their business. Yeah. That's great. Um, it's great you found a pl- partner that doesn't think of s- themselves as a cleaner. They think of themselves as operating a, a cleaning business. So I think that's yes. different. Like where you meet people that are just like, I'm a cleaner. No, like you are a, especially like it's their business. Like you're a business owner that's yeah. like cleaning right now. But as you scale, they yeah. you're going to hire more cleaners and build a business for yourself. We yes. went through a very similar journey in, in Philadelphia. We um, hired, we found someone on Craigslist actually, David Tanisha. Okay. And they, we've been able to grow the business with them. We we're lucky enough that they, we've been able to grow the business from them from day one. And yeah, of course, there are mistakes on their part, mistakes on our part. Yeah. But they always have a mindset of a partnership and yeah. building the, them building a business for themselves along yeah. with us. Yeah. I think that's, th- that is a really important part to get right is to find that cleaner that has that kind of that right mentality 
it's going to just help you grow that much faster. Yeah. Because there is a lot of, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. ahead. Because I find there is a lot of cleaners who just want some extra income. But unfortunately, that kind of people will not help you grow because when they're sick or when they feel they don't like doing the cleaning, they will just tell you like the day before, hey, sorry, I can't be there. And then you become the manager. Like you really need to find backup. Only when I find someone who is really into because the first time I talked to my cleaner and she told me, hey, you know, cleaning is a billion dollar business. I'm like, oh my God, I haven't talked to anyone <laughs> in a cleaning who think like an investment banker, you know? <laughs> that one. I love it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like him. And I was, wow, that is very. <laughs> so, so it just, I think it really takes ownership and activeness. Very, Otherwise, like people just treat it as some extra income. Very cool. And, and TAM for everyone, TAM means total addressable market. Addressable it's just, market. It, it, it's just a finance term on like how big a market is. So if someone's thinking at that level, then that's someone that, if someone said that to me, oh, wow, okay, I want to work with you because like you're already thinking a different way than 99% of other people. So a yeah. lot of it's this kind of like mindset too. Yeah. Actually, that's what you probably want to talk about. You and I have had kind of private discussions about this, but mindset, right? As you evolved your mindset from a nine to five, not nine, nine to five a.m. probably at times, right? But from nine to five, from a W two to being an entrepreneur, yeah. You know, maybe just talk a little about that journey, about how you were able to do that. You're asking about you first have the work schedule basically, and now you have to design your day. Yeah. That kind of transition, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so that was that was a big change. I have to say, I'm still struggling sometimes a little bit. I think probably the most important thing is to set goals, but I feel like I'm still. I really need to develop that. It's almost like setting annual goal. Like also, like you need to break it down into like monthly goal. I think last year I set a goal. I want to launch a new property every quarter, and I just work towards that, and I hit it, which which felt pretty good. But I feel like this year I probably need to go a little bit more ambitious. And then you need to break it down to weekly and much better is this design your day the, be- the day before. But yep. I feel like I didn't really do a good job, maybe just because my toddler schedule is very unpredictable sometimes. But I think that's probably the biggest change is because at work, you know, you are given the work. You're working on three deals and you have all those cost schedule, blah, blah. And you have like weekly meeting to talk to the investment committee or that kind of stuff. Right now, you almost have to design all those yourself and hold yourself accountable. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's the hard part because I'm doing it. I know you are doing it with your wife. I feel like having a partner gives you accountability. But for me, I feel like I'm having just myself right at the moment. And also my husband is working at 9 to 5. So our schedule is completely different. So I need to do that better and maybe have business partners to help myself accountable. Yeah. Now, working with a partner definitely helps in accountability, but it's hard, obviously, being married and and building a business together and raising a child together. It's a lot to do. And that's where Liz and I have done this for so long now. You just have to resolve conflict quickly. You have to divide work, divide church and state a little bit. There's a work life and there's a home life and try not to let the two commingle to the best you can. Right. But for us too, it's also, yeah, it was a big financial risk for us. Just like we're both in this business. We always have our savings. This is like our main thing. Kind of like it has to work. Yeah. And so that's a great mindset. If something has to work, I think everyone will make it work. Yeah. It's like Cortez when he burned the boats. It's, you just like, all right, look, we're here. Like it's either we're here, we're here now. So either we live or die on with this business. Yeah. Not to put it in like morbid terms, but it really is. You just, there's no way back. 
a lot of this is the way we think about it. It's just, we have to make, and I think that's just a good mindset because he really, it really sparks your creativity. Maybe it's that fight or flight mindset in your head. Like there's mm-hmm. no flight anymore. It's like, all right, like we're just going to figure this out. And for us, a lot of it was just during COVID. We were operating during COVID and in that, it was like February, sorry, March 17th or 18th. It was like, wow, empty calendar and a yeah, bunch of properties that we need to fill. Yeah, that I just, can imagine. That must be pretty, pretty scary. Especially it was, <laughs> you don't really know what's going to happen. It's all the uncertainty. And I think there, that, that's where it's like planning day by day was really helpful. Just like, mm-hmm. all right, the night before, like, all right, we need to do X, Y, and Z. We don't know if it works, but let's just put our heads together. Like, what is the, like, what, what would be, give us the highest probability for success and just to drive that and then iterate it, but like figure out what would work. For us, it was like going on Facebook groups and trying to find like students at UPenn or in the universities around around yeah. Philadelphia. Right. There were people that were stuck that couldn't leave and right. needed housing. So that was where, even though it wasn't profitable, at least it kept the lights on. Yeah. And I think for us, is and another key learning was like <clears throat> nothing lasts forever, kind of thing. Good times and bad times. So yeah. if you're in a good time, also just remember like it's not going to last forever and plan for when things aren't as great and when things are right. bad. Also, just know that like it will turn around. And there really is, if you can outlast the competition, like you will win. And, it, and a part of it's just like survival. If you can survive and COVID, it was like, it was the six to eight weeks. If you could survive that six to eight weeks, cut the losers and just focus on the winners. And then that's where you can really, and I think that's how we survived. And then it's more like a global lesson. It's just like mm. outlasting the competition because eventually it will turn. And if mm. you're there, when the demand comes back and there's a lot less supply, then that's when you can get the outsized returns. And it'll right. more than make I mean, for us it's more than made up for the lot for this. But the loss of losses. We've had two years of really good performance with it with COVID and or the opening of COVID. And so I think there, let's maybe test this conversation. As you as we're looking at twenty twenty three, or we're now in twenty twenty three, there's obviously economic uncertainty. How are you thinking about that for your business? Yeah, I think Definitely a lot of people talk about that, but I really think from my perspective, first of all, I see a lot of demand. I wouldn't say those are non-discretionary like travel. I feel like a lot of that is actually necessary travel because like people actually are visiting like family or that kind of stuff like in the area. And there's usually like people traveling in slightly larger group or three generations. So that's a lot of my clientele. And compared to hotels, this is just a much better product because people can stay together because I focus on larger houses in that area. I figure out that's where the demand comes and it's much more affordable uh, on the per person basis. So I feel like even if there's a recession, you still want to see your family once a year. Yeah. It just, it's, it doesn't seem to be discretionary travel when you have more money or whatever. Traveling to Miami. I don't know. Yeah. That's kind of my perspective for that particular demand in my area. And another demand that I'm seeing is really local residents. Like I had for my second property, I actually had a three months booking from a family who was like renovating their house. I actually got quite a bit of inquiry in that aspect as well. Those are great vacancy. And also they actually pay more money because there's much less inventory that has that available. People need to renovate houses or they're just like a lot of large like mansion, that kind of stuff in the area. So I feel like that will be also a pretty good demand. You just need to know how to like capture that maybe through some like temporary housing, like intermediary or that kind of stuff. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not too worried. Like right now, I feel like I'm already getting quite a bit of inquiry for the summer or like May. Let's see. But <laughs> I'm not too concerned at the moment. You can always dynamically price your inventory. If the margin is pretty fat, there's always room for you to lower the price. Exactly. Let Airbnb or your landlord hear that though. Okay. Oh yeah, of course. Is our little secret here. Uh, so I think that's a, you bring up a really good point. As in knowing your avatar, like knowing who your customer is, mm. knowing the customer avatar that you're going after. And it, it's hard to do from the out. Your, maybe your first property is a little harder because you don't mm. know. But and, and that that is the key, just getting started with something. And you, you actually learn a market. You get information that just doesn't exist anywhere else. So you kind of see, oh, okay, for you, I got this, I just got this first property and I'm seeing this type of demand. I'm seeing big families come, renovations, yeah. et cetera. It's like, okay, now I know that this kind of property works or, oh, maybe I need to get like a five bedroom or six bedroom that like, I have all these people that are coming in. So it really helps educate you as an entrepreneur that knowing who your customer set is. And part of that is just like getting in and then also just like knowing, being close to the business, at least early on, knowing who that customer is so that when you expand and build your inventory, that what type of customer is one that you like working with to fits that geography the best. Yeah, so every geography I noticed, it's pretty different. Because different. Really, exactly. Yeah, it really depends on what is actually in the area and what, what kind of attraction, like if there's like wedding venues or... Yeah, so it's pretty interesting. And before you actually gather all those data like from real operations, it's pretty hard to know just by doing some desktop research. Exactly. You have to know. And that's why I was... So I was encourage people your first property usually isn't your best property it's just like getting started and like once you get started you'll see it just completely opens your eyes to the business and you'll be able to grow from that but it's just like going from zero to one you know that peter thiel book like it really is like that zero to one is the hardest thing but once and so many people get caught up into desktop analysis and like analysis paralysis but like just getting that first one up running, even if it's a one bedroom, doesn't really matter. Just get something that's obviously you need to do the work, make sure the market is right and the right yeah. property. Once you're in the game, like you are now like in a very select group. And if you can grow that, then you really can build a business for yourself. And I don't discount how hard it is to build a business. It's very difficult to build a successful business and you can get that feedback very quickly and with not a lot of capital up front. So just, yeah. like, there just aren't very few, very few businesses that, have that kind of dynamic if you do a franchise for example you're mm. paying that franchise fee which is five figures they're going to build out the place and like it's a lot of capital up front and you're just not going to make that money back that quickly you're not going to yeah. get feedback that quickly but this mm. can hey, you don't need, need a, a franchise yeah franchise take three to four years just exactly. to get your money back yes it's a long payback period so i guess as we wind down the conversation um you know what are your personal plans for yourself like what is that what is that 23 2023 program, yeah. growth program, look for Maggie. So I think 2023, I think the, I'm operating in two cities. They are, they are adjacent to each other. I feel like probably have the potential to at least like double or maybe grow to 10 properties uh, in the area. And that will give me a pretty good base or foundation. And I feel like I can also maybe hire just someone to help me manage that city, whether it's offshore a manager or someone local. And then I really want to get into acquiring properties, not something new because I bought my house and I also bought a long-term rental, but I need to figure out the market to buy vacation rental properties. I really feel like what you said has to be a market that has a history of being friendly, especially from the regulation perspective, because that's a pretty big risk, but I'm not very familiar with those markets yet. Uh-huh. 
So maybe figuring out a market to to buy, and maybe some somewhere we want to travel and have vacation too, <laughs> so it, it can be used for personal. Uh, yeah, that, yeah, that is the that's the next level. That's the next level on this investing journey is buying, right? It is, it is a very different lens that you look at because you own that asset. For you're going to own that asset, and that that market selection is much more important. That it, yeah, on a relative basis, much more important than arbitrage because arbitrage. Yes. It's just, it's more, in the end, it's just the furniture you need to move out to a different market if it doesn't work, which isn't the yeah. end of the world. But yeah, you can't, once you sign that mortgage, like it, it's yours. So, and so the way that we think about it, we call it the AFLAC method, how we've designed the strategy for ourselves. So AFLAC means A for arbitrage, uh-huh. FL for cash flow. It, so you arbitrage, arbitrage, you get the cash flow, then you acquire uh-huh. properties. Yeah. And then the C is cost egg, which is just another way of saying tax efficiency. So yeah. being able the really nice piece about it is if you buy and you arbitrage properties that you buy, yeah. there's some powerful, powerful tax benefits that you can unlock that you can right. incur all your federal tax liability. And mm-hmm. if you have a high earning spouse like yourself, you can also defer his or hers liability, which is like amazing. It's again yeah. nothing else like this. And that ROI is immediate, right? If your husband makes or your partner makes million dollars a year and paying 40% taxes is $400,000 in taxes, mm-hmm. then you can field half of that. That's an immediate tax saving of $200,000. That's not really dependent on anything else. It's what you have to right. lock down. That's immediate ROI. It just makes everything, it just, it makes the math so much more compelling. So that for us is, that was that kind of aha moment for us. Oh, wow. wow. Like, this is something we really need to double click on. And for us, for us, we're going to continue to grow the arbitrage portfolio. We think that rents have come down landlord you know there's a lot more multifamily inventory on the market so there's a little more flexibility there on getting properties getting the right deals and mm-hmm. then reinvesting that cash flow into properties properties are a little harder to find right now just given the rates at six and a half prices have increased 30 40 percent from two yeah. years ago so Definitely. that math is a lot harder but there's still stuff out there there's still inventory out there that still makes sense it's just harder to find but it's definitely still out there so like for us that's like that for us is that that's the challenge in 2023 is to continue to grow the arbitrage portfolio and then to buy properties and continue to enjoy those tax benefits because they're not going to last forever. Bonus appreciation was 100 percent 2020. Now it's 80 percent in 2023. So uh, 60, 2024, 40, 20, and then goes to zero. Oh, 80 percent. 80 percent is still extremely compelling. But the longer you wait, the, those benefits they will diminish as they will diminish as time goes on. And who knows? Tax policy can always change, but I wouldn't underwrite against that. Eighty percent right. is still extremely compelling. Not hundred percent. Yeah, so very good. So I asked one final question to all. Of, you're the first kind of official podcast guest, but as I've done this with some other on Instagram, I do ask a final question. Look, entrepreneur building a business is a team sport, and yes. it's a journey. And what is the kindest thing that someone's done for you along this journey that's helped you with your um, to help that, that's helped you get to where you are? Today. There are a lot. <laughs> I felt really lucky. Maybe can I say a few? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, I feel like I had a really good landlord. Very lucky. Like all of all four of them. So four different landlords. I think they are they're very supportive. First I didn't have much track record. And I think they are very supportive. They like to support especially young women entrepreneurs. <laughs> And I think they are just very responsive as a landlord. And I really appreciate it because of the nature of the business. When there is repair or issues, like you have to respond quickly. And all of them 
did a great job so far. So I really appreciate that relationship. And I think for me, the thing I can do in return is just to take really good care of their property and much better than the long-term tenant. And that was my promise to them. And I think another thing is I built a great relationship with the local real estate agent. She she was like a stay-at-home mom for 20 years. She raised two great kids. And then she started her own business and she really treated me like a daughter. So she always like, tell me like she's very proud of me like all that kind of stuff like people don't say that like to a client so I really appreciate that because there's definitely moments where I doubt it hey like I left a job like I feel like trying to build a resume while I'm like trying to build a business so like very different but I think her perspective really gave me encouragement and a kind of confidence and I appreciate that that encouragement that's right yeah it's the old saying if you want to move fast you move by yourself but if you want to go far you need, you need a team and kudos to you for finding, bu- building great relationships with your landlords and realtors and something you're clear, a great relationship with yeah. the cleaner as well. So definitely um, yes. and a supportive, I'm sure a supportive husband, like again, for me and Liz, like just ha- having mm-hmm. that support, even though we both work on the business, just be supportive of each other. Again, there's, you're going to have your ups, you're going to have your downs and having someone there be supportive, whether they're working in the business with you or just working life together. That's a very, it's very, very powerful. So what, how can you, what's the best way for people to, to reach out to you? I do have an Instagram account, Tigress Ross, but I'm thinking of setting up maybe a more professional account on Instagram, even though I'm pretty late to the social media game, not very active, but I really feel like now social media is actually a great way to build a personal brand. So maybe I'll be more active. Maybe I'll start sharing more of my experience, even though I just feel like I'm still not very experienced at all. Just still really on the learning journey, but I think everyone has something to share, no matter how experienced you are. Absolutely. Lucky you're in the 95th percentile of operators with four units, right? And that's just, that's a factual statement. If you look at Airbnbs, like f- less than 5% of hosts have more than multiple, more than three properties. You're already there. I look forward to continuing this journey with you. And thank you very much for spending the time today to tell your story. Yeah, thank you. It was a great pleasure. It's always a pleasure talking to you, but but I really appreciate this opportunity. I think you guys are building a great community. And I think especially the free knowledge that you guys are sharing, I think it's really helpful. So you should keep doing this. Thank you. That's really nice of you to say. We're, we're learning the social media. We're on the social media journey as well. But it's been yeah. great to to tell the story and to meet great people. And you know, I connected through Instagram, just meeting yeah. like a lot of really good people. And it's encouraging for us, the journey for us, like just hearing other people being successful. It makes us want to run faster, run harder too. Yeah, no, really, I'm sure we'll continue to talk. But thank you again for, for joining me today. And mm-hmm. that was the first episode of S-Tier, like the best. Thank you for being the first guest. <laughs>